Welcome to Nepal Now. My name is Marty Logan. Lukshana Kapali is a firebrand. At 21, she is leading efforts to change Nepal's laws so they include transgender men and women, and she is spearheading work to develop terminology in Nepali and Nepal Basha, or Newa language, which is inclusive of people who identify anywhere along the gender spectrum. Rukshana has led campaigns to protect lands of Kathmandu Valley's indigenous Newa people and has joined heritage activists to ensure that an ancient sacred pond in the center of Nepal's capital Kathmandu was rebuilt following traditional designs. Less than 10 years ago, Rukshana was a bullied, confused student, furtively surfing the net in cyber cafes, trying to understand why she knew she was a girl but living in a boy's body. I spent a lot of money on Facebook back then, she says. Today, Rukshana leads the community of young queer activists in Nepal, fighting to get their rights recognized in law, and also calling for recognition from the established LGBTQI community. Unsurprisingly, she is also embarking on a law career. On today's episode, we'll hear more from Rukshana about the very eventful and influential journey she is taking. If you enjoy what you hear, follow Nepal now so you don't miss the next episode. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Google, and many other podcast players. Chat with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also email me with feedback or ideas for future episodes. I'm at Marty at Marty Logan. M-A-R-T-Y-L-O-G-A-N dot net. And now, Rukshana Kapali. Rukshana Kapali, welcome to Nepal Now Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to do this today. I, I know you're very busy. And in fact, one of the first things I did when we agreed to do this was take a look at uh, your blog. And on there, you have a, a bit of a bio data CV. And it's incredible how many things you, you're involved in and how much you've accomplished for a young person, right? You're 20, early 20s, 21, 22, right? I'm 21. 21. And you're, you know, just to name a few of them, you're an activist for queer rights. You co-founded this queer, something called the Queer Youth Group. You spearheaded an indigenous rights campaign to save uh, something called the Napa Valley. You're a heritage activist. You've written vocabularies, dictionaries around gender and sexuality. Um, you're working on some textbooks on the same topics. And of course, I noticed when I was on your blog that it's in three languages, uh, English, Nepali, and Nepal Basa. So how do you get so much done? And where did you get the confidence to get involved in all these things at such a young age? Explain to me how you're so accomplished at 21. Um, well, okay, that, that's a pretty difficult question because I think it sort of just came came to be that way because I just sort of like, I've always been interested in sort of like doing things that I've like been concerned of. Um, so it's, it, it was, it's not like, oh, okay, this is something I plan, like it's, it's a bit difficult for me to explain but i think i just like it just happened to be for me yeah because i was enthusiastic for all these issues they were concerning to me they were 
personal to me. That's why, like, I immersed to be vocal and, like, initiating campaigns regarding these issues. Okay. Well, still, you're downplaying it, but um, it is quite impressive, especially, you know, in this day and age when it's very easy to be a keyboard warrior, right? You can go on your social media, you can click like or or something like that and feel like you're you're, you're doing something, and it is something. Um, if we can go back sometime and talk a bit about your your younger years and your journey to this point, um, I know that you were you were born as a male, but you came out as a trans person when you were in school, I think class nine, and then uh, as the years went on, you found that you didn't quite fit into the existing movement for queer rights in Nepal. So you started something called the Queer Youth Group in the last couple of years. Uh, is that correct? And do you want to give a, a short summary of your journey up until this point? Oh, wow. Summarizing all of those is quite a very difficult thing because it's like a lot of experiences in these many years. Um, so. I've always known that I am a girl. I've always known like that what society, the way society sees me is not the way I see myself, but I was like still not able to figure out like what this is, what's going on until I was grade eight. Um, it was the first time when I heard the word transgender um, because like there's not a lot of exposure to knowledge like these on like sexual orientation, gender identity uh, in Nepal. There was this uh, a news that was like part of discussion everywhere. It was a famous actor's daughter who underwent uh, sex change surgery, and I was also like I was very excited about this, and I just grabbed the newspaper and I read her interview, and that's like. A lot of things that I could relate to myself, a lot of things that I was also experiencing. That's how I first heard the term transgender. So when I was, I was around 13, 14 years old. And at the time, internet was something very new to us. I, we didn't even have cell phones. Like, like now, nowadays, everyone has Wi-Fi in their home. But when I was of that age, um, we we didn't have an access to internet so but i knew that there was like websites like google that could help you search many things so i used to go to a cyber cafe and it was i used to look for uh for that part of the cyber cafe where people would not be able to look what i am surfing on internet and that's how i started you know exploring all these new vocabularies all these new ideas concepts and it, it really brought a change in my life and that's how i started actually speaking about myself because i used to face a lot of bullying a lot of like humiliation and a lot of harassment but i was studying in school and the only space that i could like you know just come and vent out was facebook i literally spent a lot of money on facebook and that's how i started like you know sort of writing stuff and that's how I slowly like started coming out to people because I used to write about what I felt I used to write about um, what I experienced every day 
Um, so I slowly came out and after I passed grade 10, I've like, I had completely come out. Uh, it was also the time when there was the massive earthquake and, um, passing out grade 10 was for, for me was quite a transitional moment for me to be able to come out and leave openly the way I wanted to, the way I always wanted to. So after you know passing grade 10 i started slowly blogging one of my first blogs that i really you know uh emotionally wrote like uh was my personal experience of uh coming out as transgender and then i started blogging in a lot of like different issues and of course like different languages I think for me, social media was playing a very, very, very uh, predominant role because I remember uh, going back to posts of like 2013 where I wrote that I wanted to commit suicide and like, you know, sort of reflecting how I, how I sort of grew out of that, those moments where it was still a struggle to um, sort of you know, be myself and coming to space, like coming to the reality right now where I am being myself. Um, yeah, so social media really opened, opened up me to a lot of new people, to a lot of new space. Then slowly those people who didn't like me started like, you know, unfriending me, blocking me, or I started unfriending them and blocking them. And then like, more people who uh, sort of liked what I posted or who wanted to become friends with me. My circle grew from then. And that's how I started to also be introduced to the civil society organization networks and a lot of different events. And that's like uh, a short story of my immersion to all of this. Well, that was a very good summary. Uh, a lot of years you covered there very quickly. Thank you. Um, I mean, that's very interesting because I've you know, I've read more and, and I've looked on YouTube and see some of the, the talks that you've given. And I, I watched one video from Story Yellers. You, you do talk a lot about how tough it was in your school years. But now you're mentioning how through social media, I think you found more acceptance and more friendship, more colleagues, more support. How is it today, like when you walk through your neighborhood, is it also becoming more supportive for you? Um, I think for me, when I was a teenager back then, I was like adding more people like who were there out, like, you know, from the LGBTI community. And that's how I was slowly finding out like spaces that were friend, like safer for me, people that I could talk to without like, you know, being judged and stigmatized. And so it's, just, it's a difficult question because like, you know, like physical world and virtual world are like, not something very apart for me at the moment in the past it was because physical world was full of people that judged me that bullied me that humiliated me and uh the online space was some some space where i could connect to people um that didn't judge me that was safe for me but things have quite changed now even in virtual spaces then i started getting a lot of you know what i also experienced in physical spaces the same like stigma the same same bullying but what has happened to me like let's say in recent years in recent months or probably after lockdown because i decided to delete my facebook account and create one that was more anonymous and that i could connect i would connect to people that i really wanted to be connected to 
also coming from Newa community, we have a lot of occasions where you actually like you know get to socialize with your like extended family and relatives. And I really like find a lot of them there very toxic. Some of them accepting, some of them a lot of them very toxic. And like you don't get opportunity to you know segregate and just selectively meet those people who are accepting to you and like you know completely ignore people who are not accepting to you. So. I actually cut off uh, relations or just like stop talking to or just like put myself distance from the extended family and the relative circle. So basically the people I also physically meet or in my physical world are also people I mostly trust, I believe are friendly to me like because physical world and virtual world are not just extended to people you know so you're walking on a street or maybe you're just making a public post um it does also like bring a lot of people who are not accepting who are not friendly talking about my neighborhood um there've always been people around who have like stared and who are still staring it's been more than 5 years and sometimes look at them and i would say it's been 5 years how can you just stare at a person for since 5 years and not feel bored um and there are also people who are quite friendly um so that's how i navigate both of my physical and virtual world right yeah it sounds like there's still obviously still challenges in in both spaces can you t talk a little bit now about the queer youth group? Am I right in saying that the existing groups that are that were advocating for queer rights up until that point, you you felt like they were didn't quite represent the way you saw yourself, and you needed another vehicle to get across what you what you needed as a as a trans person. So in my experience of working with mainstream organizations that have been known like uh before like newly immersed groups came out like uh, probably around 2000 late 2018 and early 2019 um I immersed to more newer groups of people I've always had the reservation of of being called being addressed as third gender I never preferred to sort of like identify and like describe myself in that way i definitely spoke about it and wrote about it but then like from the from the existing groups i always got like you know oh but it's it comes from our religious norms and all these different religious books and blah 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 and there was a lot of they were not just not, not trying to understand or acknowledge this but they're also deliberately trying to silence this so whenever there are there are public meetings and i try to you know sort of say okay there are people who may be comfortable identifying as third gender but then there are a lot of transgender people who are comfortable in identifying as either male or female and so whenever i raise this issue i get a lot of antagonism i get a lot of you know it was not accepted it was not acknowledged and there were it was also very deliberately attempted to be silenced so for me around late 2018 i started to get introduced to more like you know younger people more younger queer folks like trans non-binary folks who were uh, who were not really immersed in all of these different NGOs that were already working for, you know, these different rights. And uh, like we had conversations around 
how the senior generation of the movement like is not acknowledging the change that has come to the younger generation and that's how i i sort of came out of that older generation like movement and sort of like forming newer circles that were more more aligned to what i believe in and what i really wanted to work for and yeah uh we met on facebook actually and we were three of us and then we sort of like you know discussed a lot of things about how existing movement and why it's problematic what what things the it is not being able to address and then we decided okay we need to take a front that's you know that's youth-led and that really really amplifies our voice and channels our voice uh so around december 2018 we formed queer youth group and like in 2020 now we are registering ourselves as not for profit yeah that's it okay and would you say that you're you will be or you are more focused on kind of educating people about you know your rights getting out the message about your particular needs or is it more about getting the government to recognize officially that you should be able to identify as as a trans woman and other people uh, as they individually want to be identified rather than this other category um so i think it's it's a lot of different things that we do uh i do as an individual we do as queer youth group and other different networks that i'm part of we recently started trans rights collective we also have something called queer rights collective so there are a lot of different networks that i'm part of what we basically do is we are involved in four different things uh first of all it it's public like policy level advocacy so we definitely talk with the government and we send them a lot of letters a lot of emails voicing what our concerns are we definitely started from the citizenship bill and uh we also also you know on 31st March International Transgender Day of Visibility we were able to publish a document National Transgender Demand Sheet that for the first time actually like you know raised and channeled the voices of trans men and trans women who've been always like you know silenced and like a uh, sort of always pictured as third gender people and we could bring this this document that actually channeled what our demands are how we wanted to be recognized etc this year on 17 may we were also able to um bring up national charter of demands on legal recognition of gender identity which also included broader spectrum of identities like trans people non binary people um also third gender people intersex people and also people who just wanted to opt out mentioning gender at all and we brought a lot of different issues from language privacy data privacy etc to form this charter of demands and also like with regards to the citizenship bill we had been like you know advocating and channeling our voices to the committee of the parliament and after the committee of the parliament disregarded our voices and made a a, a sort of another draft that further regressed our rights we also did another like virtual campaign or demands of on gender identity in citizenship bill so a lot of these uh, these documents that we are making and we are like sending it to the government 
Number two, we also do awareness campaigns. Before lockdown, we used to do it in different ways, like it's a physical gatherings, going to schools. However, it's it's become more of like virtual sessions right now. Um, there are different NGOs, uh, civil society organizations that invite us to give a talk. Um, number three, what we majorly do and what majorly I love doing is creating resources, uh, especially um, in Nepali language and also uh, me particularly in Nepal Bhasha. And we're also trying to like chip in more resources to create in more local languages. We create resources such as like dictionaries writing books and doing a lot of like you know like resource generation material so so people could just you know sort of like refer to these documents to educate themselves more it's been more than a year long we're working on a very comprehensive book in nepali language that explains like you know saudi sex sexual orientation gender identity and sex characteristics in a comprehensive way we're also trying to chip in resources to create a website that would be like a central directory for whatever you wanted to get information about um and number four is movement building actually um a lot of like QI, uh, people who are part of queer youth group right now we met in like these sessions so before queer youth group started we used to i used to conduct uh, a session called sinotok uh this were these these were like discussion sessions where we actually we focused on the queer rights movement such as like uh the intersectionalities and like the internal discourses within the queer rights movement and one of the one of the very important like session i could remember like where we got a lot of we got a lot of insights on language was was a session we did with regards to word politics and we discussed a lot of things about language and words and that's that was a basic framework we established on the language that we are using right now as queer youth group and as different networks. Um, so also movement building because we also need to have conversations. We need to have discourse within the queer rights movement. Within we need to have critiques within the movement so that the movement further progresses to be more inclusive, to be more progressive. So these are some of the stuff that we do right now. Okay, well, that's a lot. It's uh, but it, you you explained it very clearly. And recently, there was a document that came out of the National Human Rights Commission, and I remember it, it was some document dealing with queer rights. But there was a lot of, or at least online, which is where I saw this conversation. There was a lot of criticism of the the vocabulary not being correct. Was that queer rights group that was involved with that? Um, it was a few months back when National Human Rights Commission released a report on LGBTI issues. However, when we saw the report, it was quite very problematic because, first of all, they didn't really consult with us. Um, they've written in the report that they've consulted it widely in a lot of different areas. Um, the definitions, the language was quite very outdated. and. It was not really anything very close to what we have been advocating. It was coming from a very cis-normative narrative, a very heteronormative, you know, underpinning. And uh, there were also very problematic stuff like pedophilia being 
conflated with the thing. Also, it also didn't acknowledge the the current direction that the movement was taking. Uh, so it had a lot of problematic things. And then we actually wrote a statement. There were 13 different organizations that came together and wrote a statement that this report is problematic and you need to revisit this. And National Human Rights Commission actually took it positively and they acknowledged that there's been a lot of mistakes um so yeah that was the issue around the report okay well it's it's positive that they took it that way i guess and hopefully they'll revise it it will come out better do you find that other institutions and authorities are they similar are they willing to learn even though they you know they might be far from being current in terms of the terminology and and the changes in the movement but are they willing to listen and learn or do you get a lot of kind of negative feedback and people don't want to engage? I think it's a very mix of a lot of different things. I wouldn't say they don't want to engage. I wouldn't say they really want to engage, but it's, it's, it's a really complicated scenario at the moment. We have really been pissing them off with sending a lot of letters, particularly. I think they really get pissed off when they see like, oh, and just another letter from Rukshana Kapaldi. Uh, but sort of, we've not stopped channeling our voices to them instead of like going speaking to them and making them like you know write notes what we do is if there is an issue we create a document uh we discuss it among ourselves and we create we make sure it's inclusive comprehensive and instead of like talking a lot we we would rather ask them to read the document so that 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 is strategy that we have like sort of applied because then then it's there it's documented that's something that like you know gives more more of a stronger ground to us we have also received received positive response like uh one of the ministry called me and said that they've received our demand sheet regarding a lot of different things and they forwarded to the respective uh respective authority but i think like there are also very much lack of resources regarding this. There are lack of literature and whatever literature there are, whatever resources there are, like just even if you Google it, either it would be in English. And if it's in Nepali, then it's very, very, very problematic, like written by cishet people, like all of these mainstream Nepali media who always would like to portray these issues as like, you know, something very different, something very peculiar. And what we are working really hard and we are also trying to chip in resources is to create different kinds of different varieties of resources that targets different kinds of populations, different kinds of groups that would further help to amplify the knowledge, further help to amplify these understandings. Right. Okay. Um, So getting back to your own personal story, I know there was a fairly high profile, and, and this may be how a number of people would have heard your name and found out about your story for the first time. There was this high profile case you had or experience you had with the university, Tribuan University here in Kathmandu, about registering. And again, it came, if I understand correctly, it came down to you wanting to register yourself as a trans person and they wanted to register you. Uh, with a different label, if I can put it that way. 
you you never really got past that disagreement. Is that right? You never did start doing your coursework there, did you? When I went to have like get my citizenship certificate, I was able to change my name, but I was not able to change my gender marker. And they told me to like, you know, you can't get it as female. You have to put yourself as others. And for me, for at, at, at that time, it was okay. Like, at least I'm getting my name changed. So, and then I don't have another option. So I would, I got that citizenship identity card and then I enrolled for my high school and I got this paperwork from my local government saying like, you know, my past name and my, the name I want to be recognized as these are of the same person. And that's how I got enrolled in my high school. The issue after I passed my high school, I got my certificate in the name I wanted to. However, I could not, I was not able to change the grade 10th grade certificate into like the gender and the name I preferred so it still had like my past name and the picture before I transitioned um so all of these like different things were playing a role in me not being able to join the university I had two different documents that were incongruent with names gender or the way I appeared um, the problem was I cannot change my past documents because the authorities that issued these documents have clearly denied me from getting that change, saying that there is no such laws. And then with having those certificates, I cannot enroll in the university. So uh, it's sort of like left me no way out. I had spent three years just to go to a lot of the different institutions wherever possible like just wherever possible i could get like my documents changed myself enrolled in the university however three years and nothing yet but i'm still i'm still like going on i've i've not like i'm not gonna leave any institution where i can appeal for this so yeah, the the course of time also brought a lot of different changes. I got a scholarship for a fellowship in England, University of York. And after I attended that fellowship, it changed a lot of a lot of things in me, like a lot of new experiences and a lot of new emotional and the way I see things changed. When I was doing the fellowship, a lot of things were clicking in my mind because like after these few months i have to go back to my country where i have to f face the harsh reality of like not being able to pursue higher education so what am i gonna do um i was attending this module where it was about law and also like uh, in our friend circle we're having this conversation of how law 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 and all of these law things are really 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 um hampering our lives impacting our lives and that's how i slowly started to think about what if i pursue a law degree and then i was like you know bugging a lot of different friends like i have connected on facebook and like hey i want to know more about the law degree hey i want to know more about the law degree and uh, after I moved back and like the lockdown started and like in few months, like, okay, I made the decision that I will enroll in law. I do see there's a lot of intersection that I work, I can work on for the fact that there needs to be openly trans people in the law sector as laws are oppressive to us. For me, it was the idea that 
being able to pursue a law degree would help me amplify the advocacy I'm doing right now and also be able to assist more people who are facing issues like me, who will be in future facing issues like me. But I would still, I'm not giving up the fight I am doing in the, the other university that didn't provide me registration. I would still take up continuing that, but at the same time, also, also sort of like you know, not uh, hampering and not halting my education that I I have to do. But I'm also very I'm also very concerned because like this new new university also may reject my registration with the same reason. But never mind. I'll just give a shot. What a frustrating period of time in your life. But in the end, it sounds like it, at least it might turn out better than, than where you were stuck with uh, TU. I know, again, from, from the reading I've done and the research I did, that you do have these other passions in your life, right? One of them being language and linguistics, and another one being, indig- which is tied to this, indigenous rights. You're also doing heritage work, and you were working on the Rani Pokhari, rebuilding Rani Pokhari, I guess is the way to put it. Is it hard for you to find room for these other passions when so much of what you're doing is tied up with your your fight for your queer rights and queer identity? Um, For past two years, I have actually been more focusing on queer rights movement and the intersection of language so i'm like i'm working on things that are that are part of my passion but but like you know also like in the intersection of all of it so like i'm not like sort of like doing one thing and not doing the other i'm like doing all of these different things together i have actually not found it really difficult to balance between or just like take all of these different issues together uh also like in past i was working in all of these different issues like quite side by side so um that wasn't an issue but the issue was so if i was working with the indigenous group or the heritage group or not group as in the group i was working but in the whole like dynamics of working in the sector of like heritage or like indigenous rights uh the thing that would bug there is my transgender identity and that's where i didn't feel comfortable and then when it comes to like the queer rights movement um the fact that I was also involved in rights of indigenous people would be a problem for other folks who are involved in queer rights movement. So I never found a space for broader solidarity, never really found like the space um, where all of these intersectional identities that I hold uh, were acknowledged and people just wanted parts, bits and parts of me. So the trans rights movement only wanted the fact that I'm transgender and not like my different passions and my other identities. Um, so that was really bugging me. But like, it's been two years that I, uh, I've i been part of Queer Youth Group. And one of the main principles in Queer Youth Group is intersectionality, acceptance of diversity. So, um, so I, I do a lot of work also with my native language, um, writing about Saudi seg issues. So 
I'm I'm pursuing like my different passions at the same time, and also the circles I'm currently are more non-stigmatizing and accepting of like the different identities that I have. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks for um, explaining that. Do you think you'll get to a point where people will just recognize you as Rukshana who works on indigenous rights and Rukshana who works for the heritage movement rather than, as you said, always always seeing your trans person first? Do you, do you think it'll just become accepted that you're Rukshana? Oh, I can't be sure about other people at all. <laughs> yeah, that's a very tough one, huh? Yeah. Okay. So, Rukshana, thank you again for speaking with me today. Um, I learned a lot about your life, the work you're doing, and uh, the trans uh, movement, trans rights. Uh, it's really inspiring to, to speak with you. And I hope we get to do it again sometime. Thank you very much, Marty.